MSW Media. Thanks to Splendid Spoon for supporting the Daily Beans. Splendid Spoon sends delicious plant-based meals and snacks designed to fit into your busy schedule instead of taking time out of it. Go to SplendidSpoon.com slash Daily Beans for $50 off your first box when you subscribe to the Breakfast, Lunch, and Reset Plan or the Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, and Reset Plan. And I also want to thank Osea for supporting the Daily Beans. Osea has been making clean and ultra-effective skincare and body care products for over 25 years. They use seaweed as their product star ingredient. They're vegan and climate neutral certified. Get 10% off your first order with promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at OseaMalibu.com. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, June 13th, 2022. Today, a Daily Beans exclusive about Enrique Tarrio's phones. The January 6th committee releases the witness list for this morning's hearing. More emails from Ginny Thomas to Arizona lawmakers are released. Rudy Giuliani is hit with ethics charges in D.C. over election fraud claims. 31 white supremacists have been arrested in Idaho and charged with planning a riot at a Pride event. And a bipartisan group of senators reaches a preliminary deal on a framework for gun legislation. I'm your host, Allison Gill. I know, I know, I know Dana is not back yet. She had to last minute change a bunch of travel plans. So she's going to be back with us Tuesday morning and she sends her apologies and her love. And uh, I look forward to seeing her. I miss her. So you're stuck with me today. I'm going to bring you all of this news. And then later in the show, I'm going to be talking with Adam Klasfeld from Law and Crime, host of the Objections podcast on why Scott Perry might have sought a pardon from the White House as revealed in Thursday's hearing that we, you know, we all watched. I know we all watched it. So I have a lot of news to get to today. A lot of stuff has happened over the weekend. So let's do it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, we're starting off with the January 6th committee. They kicked off their series of six hearings this month, last Thursday, June 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern. And uh, it was welcomed by over 20 million viewers. That's just on television. Those are huge ratings, by the way. That is normally like what a Sunday night football game would get. That's big. Most congressional hearings get less than a million. And that doesn't account for streaming numbers. I watch the hearings with five other people. It doesn't account for group watching situations. We were up at Kathy Griffin's that night. Thanks so much. Shout out to Kathy for being so hospitable and inviting us up there to watch in her screening room. It was really, truly an historic event. And then I jumped on the Mary Trump show to discuss that. And if you caught that coverage, you would have heard me say the hearing was fit for history and that I was surprised by how well the committee presented their facts. The second hearing takes place at 10 a.m. Eastern time today and could be even more explosive than the first. I'll get into that in a minute, but I wanted to go over some of the standout moments for me in the Thursday hearing, you know, as arose from some of the discussions I had with Mary Trump and her group of folks. And then, of course, the people I was watching with at Kathy's. And uh, first of all, one of the lines that stood out to me early on came from the chair, Benny Thompson, his opening comments when he said, quote, January 6th was the culmination of an attempted coup. And it took my breath away a little bit that the committee has decided to use the correct language, right? 
so many times they fall back on political soft language, like attack on the Capitol or riot. He said, make no mistake, January 6th was a culmination of an attempted coup. So important to meet the moment by calling it a coup and not using that softer language. So that was very impressive. Same with Liz Cheney talking about lies when uh, Donald Trump said he had called out the National Guard, but Nancy Pelosi, you know, put the kibosh on it, quashed it. And Liz Cheney called that a lie. She didn't say he misled us or any any kind of, you know, New York Timesy language like that. I think the taped deposition of Bill Barr was very important. It stood out to me. We knew he said that, but to watch him say it was different. Now, we all know Bill Barr's a dickbag that did Trump's dirty work for years. But using his testimony against Donald, someone who was so up his butt, who is and will be Donald, by the way, who is and will be the central focus for these hearings, it, I think was incredibly effective. So the committee showed Barr testifying. He told Trump there was no voter fraud, no widespread voter fraud, and that his claims about it were bullshit. Use the word bullshit. Then there was a taped testimony of Mark Milley. He's chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That stood out to me, too. It was a little bit chilling. And it goes back to that thing I was talking about where how Cheney said Trump lied about calling the National Guard. Milley testified the only calls he got from about that were from Mike Pence. And they were persistent and urgent. The only call he got from the White House on Donald's side was from Mark Meadows, who was worried about the political spin. It's very telling. And at one point, in one of the most potentially damaging moments of the videotaped interviews, Donald's son-in-law, Kushner, is, is shown dismissing the threats of, of Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel, to resign. Dismiss them as whining, a bunch of lawyers whining. I was busy trying to, you know, get pardons, <laughs> set up corrupt pardons for criminals. And uh, but, you know, Pat Cipollone's there just whining, just whining. He would always threaten, ah, just whining. And to me, showing that clip, that was for an audience of one. And that audience was Pat Cipollone, who has said he would be willing to testify as to Donald's attempt to oust acting Attorney General Rosen and replace him with Jeffrey Clark. But that was it. That's all he was going to testify to. Jeffrey Clark, by the way, the committee made sure to refer to him as an environmental lawyer, which I thought was a nice dig. But if the committee could get testimony from Cipollone on other things Trump did and said or didn't do that day, he was there. That would be important also. I mean, his, his testimony about the Rosen stuff is important, but that would be really important. And I think the committee was baiting him with that Jared clip. We'll see what happens. Then there was a part where Liz Cheney said in her opening statement that while Donald was watching the violence and heard about the chance of hang Mike Pence, he said, maybe our supporters have the right idea and that Mike Pence deserved it or deserves it. That was, we knew about that, but just to hear them say it in that setting was, was pretty shocking. And of course, there was the harrowing testimony of Capitol Police Officer Caroline Edwards, absolute hero, one of the first officers or the first officer injured in the line of duty. She suffered traumatic brain injury, concussion. Um, She had that bike rack uh, pushed up on her, fell backwards, hit her chin on the railing and then clipped her head on the concrete stairs. Uh, Another thing I didn't know was the number of Proud Boys headed to the Capitol before Donald even finished his speech. And that number was 250 to 300. Far more than I'd previously thought. It just shows the the coordination. Another big moment was when Cheney said Rep. Scott Perry had called the White House to ask for a pardon for his participation 
which Scott has called a soulless lie. But the committee would not have made that accusation if they did not have the ironclad proof. I'll be speaking with Adam Klasfeld later in the show about why Perry wanted and needed that pardon. One of the most surprising things to me, though, the committee says it has proof that the violence at the Capitol is connected to the White House. And I'm very much looking forward to the committee making that connection. All in all, a really powerful presentation with new video footage that we hadn't seen before, including that really stunning overlay of a Trump speech where he said that there was nothing but love pouring out of these people. Look at how peaceful and wonderful people as we're watching the violence in front of us. I think that really resonated with people, whether they're steeped in the details or not, right? Whether they're wonks like me and you or whether they're, you know, just average Americans who've never heard of, you know, a lot of these folks. So the second hearing airs today, 10 a.m. Eastern. It's set to include testimony from Bill Stepien. That's former Trump campaign manager who assisted with the plot to pressure Pence to throw out electors or delay the count. He seems to be very cooperative. That's very interesting. And he also is the guy who replaced Brad Parscale. Remember when Brad Parscale was tackled holding a beer outside of his house by the cops? Yeah, he he replaced that uh, fine person. Then we will also have... Chris Steyerwald, that's a Fox News guy who called the Arizona race for Biden earlier than at first and than any other uh, networks did and was unceremoniously fired for it by Fox, fired him. Benjamin Ginsburg, Ben Ginsburg, conservative election attorney, and his testimony is going to be extremely important to prove intent. Going to want to watch that closely. Then there's B.J. Pack. He's a former U.S. attorney from Georgia who resigned shortly after that call to Raffensperger went public. And it was before the attack on the Capitol. I think it was January 4th. I've been waiting for answers on his resignation since it happened. So I'm very much looking forward to the BJ Pack's testimony. And Al Schmidt, former city commissioner for Philadelphia. I'll be live tweeting some of the hearing, so I'm sure we'll all be tuned in for that. Now, next up, I have a little Daily Beans exclusive. According to sources, Enrique Tarrio actually used photographer and girlfriend Amy Harris's phone that night in the parking garage when Tarrio was meeting with Oath Keepers leader Stuart Rhodes and others. And then afterwards, at about 8.30 p.m., Tario bought a new phone after returning to Baltimore, presumably the one he used to communicate with the MOSD, the Ministry of Self-Defense chat group on January 6th. His phone had been confiscated by law enforcement on the 4th, so we were all sort of wondering on Twitter, like, what the fuck phone was he using? He ended up having a text exchange on the night of 1-6 with person 1, who we now know as Proud Boy Bertino, who we saw in a video deposition, by the way, during the committee hearing last Thursday, leading me to believe Bertino is cooperating. He was raided the same day Tario was arrested, along with another proud boy in Pennsylvania named Stewart. His last name is Stewart. I think he's cooperating with the DOJ, and perhaps that's where they got the signal chat for the group called the MOSD. Now, this reporting about Amy Harris that I have shows that she was more involved than previously known. She had sued to prevent the committee from getting her phone records, but I don't know whether the committee already has them. I'm sure we'll learn more in the weeks to come. In her lawsuit, trying to prevent the committee from getting her phone records from Verizon, she says, yeah, I lost my phone that day in the chaos and the violence. And uh, I picked it up at a hotel desk where it had been turned in by a proud boy. What what a fucking lucky coincidence. And, And something that likely won't come up in the hearings. Jenny Thomas emailed 27 more Arizona lawmakers than previously known. We knew about the two. Now there's 27 more, and she did that to pressure them to put forth their own slate of fraudulent Trump electors. Thomas sent the messages using free routes, which is an online platform intended to make it easy to send pre-written emails to multiple elected officials at once. 
New documents show Thomas indeed used that platform to reach many lawmakers all at once on November 9th. This was November 9th. She sent identical emails to 20 members of the Arizona House and seven to Arizona state senators. That represents more than half of the Republican members of the state legislature at that time. The message just days after media organizations called the race for Biden, two days. Her messages urged lawmakers to, quote, stand strong in the face of political and media pressure. They claimed that the responsibility to choose electors was yours and yours alone. They had, quote, power to fight back against fraud and ensure that a clean slate of electors is chosen, she said in her email. Among the lawmakers, by the way, who received that email was then Rep. Anthony Kern, a Stop the Steal supporter who lost his reelection bid in November 2020 and then joined U.S. Rep. Louis Gohmert and others as a plaintiff in a lawsuit against Pence. That was a last-ditch effort to overturn Biden's victory. Kern was photographed outside the Capitol during the riot on January 6th, but is said he did not enter the building. That puts Ginny on Team Sidney Powell. Just weeks before Sidney Powell was ousted from the crack and strike force by Jenna Ellis and Rudy Giuliani, because Jenna and Rudy did not want to challenge the Electoral Count Act in court for fear that the courts would rule that Pence couldn't throw out electors. That would sink the entire Eastman plot. And we learned about that from an email that uh, has been described as falling under the crime fraud exception in Judge Carter's court ruling on the second batch of Eastman emails. It has to be handed over to the committee. But Powell forged ahead with Rep. Louis Gohmert and that Arizona fraudulent elector, Kern, to sue Pence in court. Now, the case was thrown out on standing, and the court never ruled on the merits of the Electoral Count Act being unconstitutional or not. Speaking of Rudy, the attorney discipline arm of the D.C. Bar has brought a case against Rudy Giuliani for pushing unsubstantiated election fraud accusations in Pennsylvania federal court on behalf of Donald Trump after the 2020 election. A disciplinary office filing called a charge, ethics charge, Further puts Giuliani's status as a lawyer in jeopardy. Giuliani had already been suspended from practicing law by the New York Bar, as that office also investigates his election fraud efforts on behalf of Trump in court. And in the new filing from the D.C. Bar, Giuliani is accused of violating Pennsylvania's rules of professional conduct. He did so, the filing said, in that he, quote, brought a proceeding and asserted issues therein without a non-frivolous basis in law and fact for doing so. And, quote, engaged in conduct prejudicial to the administration of justice. CNN, who's reporting this story, reached out to Giuliani's attorney, but did not receive a response to its inquiry about the ethics charges. And Andrew Torres and I are going to go over this in detail on this Wednesday's Cleanup on Aisle 45 podcast. That's right. He is back. Andrew is back. He's feeling better. All right. Next up from The Washington Post. Police in Idaho arrested 31 people who had face coverings, white supremacist insignia, shields, and an operations plan to riot near an LGBTQ plus pride event on Saturday afternoon. Police say they were affiliated with Patriot Front, a white supremacist group whose founder was among those arrested. Bah, bummer. Authorities received a tip about a little army loading into a U-Haul truck at a hotel Saturday afternoon. That's according to Lee White, the police chief in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, a city of about 50,000 near the border with Washington. Local and state law enforcement pulled over the truck about 10 minutes later. Many of those arrested were wearing logos representing Patriot Front, which rebranded after one of its members plowed his car into a crowd of people protesting a white supremacist rally in Charlottesville in 2017, killing Heather Heyer and injuring dozens. That's them. The group's founder, Thomas Ryan Rousseau, or Rousseau, was among those arrested. Like the others, Rousseau was arrested on a charge of criminal conspiracy to riot, which is a misdemeanor. 
The arrestees were held on $300 bail. Some of the other men arrested also have been linked to the group. In photos and video posted on social media, a group of men dressed in hats, sunglasses, Patriot Front signature khaki pants, of course, were seen kneeling on the ground with their hands zip tied behind their backs as police officers kept watch. An onlooker taunted the group, yelling, losers. White said the people were headed to City Park, which was hosting a Pride in the Park event, advertised as a family-friendly community event celebrating diversity and building a stronger, more unified community for all. Organizers did not immediately respond to telephone and email requests for comment from the Washington Post, who's written this story on Saturday evening, but they wrote in a post to the group's Facebook page that it was a successful event. The group, North Idaho Pride Alliance, urged people to stay aware of your surroundings this afternoon and evening in the city. Authorities had been aware of online threats leading up to the weekend, according to White, so police had increased their presence in the city's downtown. Two SWAT teams and officers from the city, county, and state assisted in the arrests. The Panhandle Patriots, a local motorcycle club, had planned a gun delane, like Coeur d'Alene, but gun delane, event the same day as Pride in the Park to, quote, go head to head with these people. An organizer said in April during an appearance with state rep Heather Scott, Republican. The organizer was not identified by name in a video, but wore a vest bearing the alias Mad Dog and the insignia of the Panhandle Patriots group. He lamented that the pride gatherings would be, quote, allowed to parade through all of Coeur d'Alene, saying that a line must be drawn in the sand against such LGBTQ plus displays. Scott did not immediately respond to a quest for comment from the Washington Post late Saturday. In a news release posted on the group's website, the Panhandle Patriots encouraged the community to take a stand against the LGBTQ plus agenda. It also suggested without evidence that, quote, extremist groups were just trying to hijack the event to provoke violence and uh, said the group would change its event name to North Idaho Day of Prayer in response. Okay. So Mad Dog changed his gun delane to the North Idaho Day of Prayer event. Mm-hmm. Reached by phone late Saturday, a representative for the Panhandle Patriots declined to comment, telling the Post, we aren't answering questions right now. Yeah, I bet. White, the police chief, did not mention a connection between the Panhandle Patriots and events in the arrests, and he said those arrested had come from several states to riot downtown with riot gear, at least one smoke grenade, and documents similar to an operations plan that police or military group would put together for an event. He did not see firearms at the scene of the arrest, he said, but emphasis on the situation was, quote, very fresh. However, firearms were present in the vicinity of the park. Police had been in contact with the FBI all day, he said. White noted that the authorities' understanding of the situation was still developing and said at the news conference that uh, law enforcement had not yet interviewed those arrested. Representatives for Patriot Front were unable to be reached for comment. More charges are possible. They'll likely make their first court appearance sometime today. So that's very interesting. We don't know what weapons they had, where they were. We just know about a smoke grenade and shields. But uh, they were first picked up on misdemeanor charges. And by the way, this came from a tip, a citizen. Why we got to keep doing all the work? Finally, a bipartisan group of senators announced Sunday it had reached a tentative agreement on legislation that would pair modest new gun restrictions with significant new mental health and school security investments, a deal that could put Congress on a path to enacting the most significant national response in decades to acts of mass gun violence. 20 senators, 10 Dems and 10 Republicans signed a statement announcing the framework of a deal. The move indicated that the agreement could have enough GOP support to defeat a filibuster. 
which is, as we know, the Senate supermajority rule that has impeded previous gun legislation and pretty much anything else that would help Americans. Quote, families are sacred. It's our duty to come together and get something done that will help restore their sense of safety and security in their communities. That's what a statement read in part. Most importantly, it says our plan saves lives while also protecting the constitutional rights of law-abiding Americans. Mm, Okay. Under the tentative deal, a federal grant program would encourage states to implement red flag laws that allow authorities to keep guns away from people found by a judge to represent a potential threat to themselves or others, while federal criminal background checks for gun buyers from 18 to 21 would include a mandatory search of juvenile justice and mental health records for the first time. So it's an enhanced background check. It's not universal, though. Other provisions would prevent gun sales to domestic violence offenders other than spouses, closing what is called the boyfriend loophole to clarify which gun sellers are required to register as federal firearms dealers. That's something else it does. And thus run background checks on customers and establish new federal offenses related to gun trafficking. The agreement does not include a provision supported by Biden, congressional Democrats, and a handful of Republicans and me that would raise the minimum age for the purchase of long guns from 18 to 21. Senator Chris Murphy, the lead Democratic negotiator, said in an interview Sunday that the compromise would have detractors on both the right and the left, but that it would ultimately make meaningful differences in combating gun violence. Quote, this is also the moment where we break the log jam. This is the important part, right? He says, this is the moment where the 30-year impasse is broken. I think folks are really anxious about the state of violence in this country, and I think they really want Washington to show it can deliver. Other provisions in the framework would funnel billions of new federal dollars into mental health care and school security programs, funding behavioral intervention programs, new campus infrastructure, and armed officers. One cornerstone of the deal is legislation sponsored by Senators Roy Blunt and Debbie Stabenow to establish a nationwide network of community behavioral health clinics, though the framework does not yet include an agreed funding level for that program or some of the others. So no, this bill does not go far enough. But what it does do, as Chris Murphy said, is opens the door to more legislation down the road now that Republicans have conceded effectively that the Second Amendment is not absolute. They did this back in 2004. They're doing it again now. David Hogg, Shannon Watts, Fred Gutenberg, they're all optimistic. So, so am I. This is how things go in a democracy. You do not get everything you want all at once. You can only get that in an autocracy. So this bill, once again, shows the world that democracy can work. Another very important message. All right, I'll be right back with Adam Klasfeld to discuss the bomb Liz Cheney dropped on the committee last week when she said Rep. Scott Perry called the White House seeking a pardon for his role in the attempted coup. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Uh, It's AG here. I have really been making skincare a priority lately. Getting up there, 48, perimenopausal, starting to worry about the skins, uh, which is why this year I started using Osea, the amazing cult favorite skincare line. Since 1996, Osea has been making clean and effective skincare products. Their products are vegan, cruelty-free, and they're safe for your skin and the planet. They have award-winning cleansers, serums, and face moisturizers, and they're known for creating incredible body products like their famous body oil. I put it on and my tattoos pop. It's beautiful and I have a glow. And they've done it again. Osea's new body butter is softening, nourishing, and it has the most amazing citrus scent. It's even clinically proven to moisturize your skin for up to 72 hours. I love its rich texture. I love the smell. It applies smoothly. It absorbs. It's not sticky. Uh, The seaweed-infused body oil helps keep my skin hydrated. It makes my skin look moisturized and healthy. Uh, And a little really does go a long way. I've had it for a long time. It's, they're, they're just spa quality products and I enjoy the silky soft feel. 
And it's going to be amazing for my legs and feet in the summer months. I can have that toe confidence that I love. We all want that amazing glowing skin. I use it every day. Osea has many products that I love and I get amazing results from all of them. It's really taken my skincare routine up to the next level. So find your new skincare and body care favorites at oseamalibu.com and get a special discount just for listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code DAILYBEANS at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order. Orders over $50 get free shipping. It's amazing. You're going to want it all. So go to Osea, O-S-E-A, Malibu.com and use code DAILYBEANS at checkout. Everybody, welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today by my friend, host of the Objections podcast and uh, writer for Law and Crime and uh, editor at large, I believe. Please welcome Adam Glassfeld. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk to you because of a piece that I saw on Twitter that I immediately wanted to ask you about that you wrote. It says, Rep. Scott Perry is the only GOP congressman named so far for allegedly seeking Trump's pardon. Here's why he might have wanted one. Can you tell us a little bit about it's because he's totally innocent, right? (laughs) Well, you know, the natural question that arises after Liz Cheney announces as vice chair of the committee that Perry uh, has requested a pardon from uh, former President Trump, the natural question is why? (laughs) And, you know, in researching the article, there's the benefit of, hey, there's a public record about this. Mm -hmm. The January 6th committee has sent Representative Perry two letters, and one of them is actually quite detailed. If anyone wants to check out the letter, it is embedded in the story. You can see for yourself the kind of evidence that the committee is looking at. And it basically goes into his alleged plot to install Trump loyalist lawyer Jeffrey Clark in the Department of Justice. Now, if you watched the first debut hearing of the January 6th committee, you know, and also if you haven't frankly been living under a rock, you also know, because it's been widely reported, that former Attorney General Bill Barr had resigned. And this, I'm going to take advantage of the tagline again, Allison, news with swearing. Uh, Before resigning, uh, he called Trump's election fraud claims bullshit. Uh, And now we have the video evidence, which emerged after that. Now, the plan after that on certain parts of Trump's circle was uh, allegedly to install Jeffrey Clark as someone who is more amenable to Trump's conspiracy theories about the election. And that's what the committee's letter focuses on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we all remember that January 4th meeting with Engel, Donahue, Rosen, where they had said, because we reported on this extensively on The Beans and the listeners know that that they said, look, if you do this, we're all going to resign and you're going to be presiding. He's going to be in charge of a graveyard, I believe the words were. Mm. And uh, yeah, and we know that Scott Perry had something to do with that. So where's this? uh, Why would you need a pardon for helping try to install Jeffrey Clark? Right. (laughs) Right. Well, so here is where I had reached out to a trusty source, Mitchell Eppner, former federal prosecutor who uh, led intake uh, on a section of uh, federal offenses at the District of New Jersey, told him to take a look at this letter, see if any potential areas of concern jump out at him. And he rattled off a a number of statutes. 
He said, essentially, uh, and he wasn't necessarily accusing the congressman of it, but he said if the congressman took those actions to a criminal defense attorney, said, hey, where do I have exposure? And the defense attorney took a look at it. Uh, that defense attorney might see conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government of uh, certain honest services. Uh, so there, there is that. There is the fact that the letter said that he was communicating with the, I believe it was Mark Meadows. I'll have to check the uh, letter a little bit more closely, but certainly senior Trump officials via Signal. Now, any of us who use Signal, it's, uh, you know, very every journalist <laughs> pretty much uses it for s secure communications. And it has certain features like disappearing messages, which may be a problem if you have to comply with the Presidential Records Act. Mm -hmm. That is storing communications because these are records that have to be memorialized. So that could potentially be another area of concern. Yeah, because you don't you run into a little bit of a problem where you say, no, 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 these aren't presidential records we have to turn over to the archives, but also using signal, but, you know, also trying to say, no, these are legitimate deliberative processes that need to be privileged, right? It, you can't have it both ways. Right, right. So it's it's another thing that, of course, uh, only... A representative Perry will know what was on his mind if he spoke to a lawyer, what that lawyer told him to be concerned about. But and as a matter of fact, right now, he his claim about this revelation by Congresswoman Cheney is that it's a quote, and this is from his press secretary, a ludicrous and soulless lie. So he denies it. It later came out from the Los Angeles Times that. Liz Cheney says she has proof of it. So their chips are on the table. We'll find out in the upcoming hearings what that proof is. But if if this is what it is, you can that there are former federal prosecutors who identify multiple potential areas of concern. Another one that uh, Mitch Epner mentioned during our interview, and he said this one was a stretch, but perhaps he was concerned about seditious conspiracy, the same statute that was deployed against the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. This is basically what Epner was saying is that a defense attorney who was presented with the facts that the January 6th committee has been looking at might take a close look at that and see certain exposure and advise him to get a broad pardon and say and request a pardon for actions taken from the election through the end of Trump's term. And of course, that is exactly what Vice Chair Cheney is alleging with the first hearing of the uh, January 6th committee's uh, public hearings. And of course, we're going to hear more going forward. Yeah. And we also know Department of Justice Office of Inspector General launched an investigation mid-January. It was either the 15th or the 25th. They launched two investigations into the Department of Justice, the former Department of Justice, about their involvement in, in January 6th. And Merrick Garland testified under oath last October that whatever recommendations that Office of Inspector General made to him, he would follow. 
So there's also potential culpability there. And uh, and also not to mention besides seditious conspiracy, which is tough because you have to, you know, that's by force. But there's also obstructing an official proceeding, which Liz Cheney has cited on multiple occasions that doesn't require for it's it's seditious conspiracy without the force element is basically what it is. Absolutely. And that's why uh, Eppner said that particular charge is a stretch. Now, he also said another one he might be concerned with is obstruction of justice. And this is a quote from him depending upon what he did actually did with regard to the attempt to replace the acting attorney general. So there are a lot of variables here, but it's essentially there is a public record. Uh, What I wanted to highlight in this article is that uh, essentially that the January 6th committee has looked at him before and has released the evidence that they have compiled in a pretty navigable, user-friendly form, and that, you know, that's there as a window into their thinking. And that, you know, when Liz Cheney says in front of a, you know, tens of millions of people who, who tuned in for the first hearing that there was this search for a pardon, Now's the time to dig up those old letters that are now a public record and get a window into their thinking. And I think that this will not be the last time, particularly now that we know that there are other GOP representatives that will be named. Mm -hmm. She hasn't named them yet. There have been certain reports about others who may be or whose sources say are the GOP reps who wanted a pardon. But once their names are released, there's a broad record they have been investigating for many months, as you know. And I think now's the time to really look at that record as the January 6th committee builds a case and puts all the different pieces that we've been seeing together. Yeah, excellent. Amazing piece. I, I recommend everybody read it. And it's funny you bring up obstruction of justice. I've, I've been it's been sort of dawning on me slowly. You know, Watergate, it wasn't the burglary, it was the cover-up. It was the obstruction of justice. The Mueller investigation, yes, there was an investigation into the Trump-Russia contacts and collusion and conspiracy there. But the beef, the beefy charges could have come out of obstruction of justice. There was a whole other obstruction of justice investigation. I think we might be naive to think that there isn't an investigation into obstruction of justice of the investigation into January 6th as well. We just don't know about it because it's not a special counsel and he's not required to report it. In fact, he's keeping it very quiet. We'll see. But uh, I appreciate uh, your time today. Look forward to talking to you about future hearings, when these names come out, what the proof Liz Cheney has is, and she has it. She wouldn't say she had it if she didn't have it. I don't reckon. So until then, uh, I urge everyone to listen to the Objections podcast. Check out Law and Crime. Follow Adam Klasfeld. Klasfeld reports on Twitter. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. Thank you for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. As you know, the old adage goes, you are what you eat. But who has time to cook, prep and clean every single day? I do not. I am incredibly busy. It can be tough to make space for shopping, especially with my paleo clean sort of eating habits and meal planning and all that. Uh, You don't you know, need to do all the rest of that stuff that you don't need to do to stay healthy. So why not get straight to the good part, the good meals? 
that require no help whatsoever. Splendid Spoon sends delicious plant-based meals and snacks right to your door. They're ready-to-eat foods designed to fit into your busy schedule instead of taking time out of it, which I love so much. Splendid Spoon fits into any schedule with customizable meals shipped right to your door, ready to eat. You only lift a finger to press start on your microwave. It's amazing. And every single meal is 100% plant-based, gluten-free, GMO-free. It's always made with plenty of vegetables, legumes, healthy fats, whole grains, and spices from all over the world. They're delicious. They've got plenty of smoothies, too, and boosters, grain bowls, soup bowls, noodle bowls for you to discover. I love them all. They save me time and they taste amazing. Plus, with over 50 choices and a constantly rotating menu, there's always new dishes to try. You can enjoy a fresh take on classic dishes like their fan favorite vegan meatballs and marinara noodles, or take your taste buds to a journey on a journey with exciting dishes like cauliflower tikka soup, which is so good. I was surprised by how much flavor a plant-based meal can have. And so you'll be surprised too. I started my morning off Usually with a blueberry coconut smoothie. It's one of my favorites. It's low calorie, high fiber, and it tastes amazing. It's great for your gut. You really have to check out Splendid Spoon. Try it today and take meal planning off your plate. Just go to splendidspoon.com slash dailybeans for $50 off your first box when you subscribe to the breakfast, lunch, and reset plan or the breakfast, lunch, dinner, and reset plan. That's splendidspoon.com slash dailybeans for $50 off. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news? Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, things that, hey, we should re-up how dumb is Louis Gohmert. I mean, he's about to get called out, called to the carpet for what he did with that that suit against VP Pence. So send in that, though I love those. Uh, you know, new swears that you have. I love that. Halloween photos I take all year. Whatever you have for us, you can send it in by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact little housekeeping issue. If you are among listeners who listen on Apple Podcasts and you are not a patron or a supercaster, again, if you listen on Apple and you're not a patron and you don't have a premium feed, go to apple.co slash beans, all lowercase, and follow that particular version of the Daily Beans. There's two out there right now. There's two versions out there. One of them is going to go away very soon. So you definitely want to make sure you're following the right one. All right. First up from Allison, pronouns she and her. I am watching the January 6th hearing and holy crap. I am surprisingly not surprised by much of what's being shared because I've been listening to you for years and you do such a great job of providing us information in a much more timely manner than our elected officials and mainstream media. This is my first time writing in and I'm so glad I found you and Mueller she wrote years ago and then the Daily Beans. Here's a pet tax pick of one of our menagerie journey. We believe she's a boxer shepherd mix. Thanks for all you do. Yes, I concur. Looks like a Boston shepherd. What a beautiful baby. Oh, ooh, that one with the sand. That's a really nice photo. That's like prize winning photo. Ah, uh, in the fields. Look at all that space to run. How exciting for that doggo. All right, next up from Tamara, pronoun she and her. Greetings from DeKalb County in Georgia. DeKalb? You're so close to getting that pronunciation right. It's decab, not decab, decab. I'm a 30 plus year resident of this lovely blue enclave, and it was my great joy to be represented by John Lewis. We will be moving soon, though. As my husband nears retirement, we seek something a bit more pastoral. Oh, that'll be so beautiful. 
We recently purchased land on a lake covered in oak trees. That's my good news, by the way. We have affectionately named it Blue Oaks because we will be taking our blue votes to that reddish area of the state. Sadly, we will have to put up with some bad GOP representation for a while, but we hope that we'll still have Senator John Ossoff and Senator Raphael Warnock. The latter is up for re-election this November, as you know. Could use the time, talent, or financial resources of anyone who wants to help. Please go to warnockforgeorgia.com. Spell out the word for. warnockforgeorgia.com to help. Thanks for all you do to break down the news in understandable segments and to promote good candidates. DeKalb County. DeKalb. Pod Pet Tax, my 14-year-old cat, Trixie. During the two months my husband was off work at the beginning of COVID, he secretly taught her to sit for her food. Apparently, you can teach an old cat new tricks. Breed below if you want to guess. Look, it's like a Russian blue. Or I had a cat with this exact coloring named Emma Sue. She was long-haired, though. This is a Torby, a cross between a Torty and a Tabby. Oh, she's so pretty. Next up from Christina, pronouns she and her. Hello, long-time listener, first-time submitter. Like so many of your listeners, I've been with you since the kitchen days. You've been a welcome soundtrack to many of my physical tasks like painting, gardening, and driving. Uh, a wee correction clarification in a recent episode with LB. But first, can I just say that I love how LB, Greg Oliar, and the other democratically-minded Twitter folks have come together in real life? Such fantastic insights and intellects. I'm so happy that today's tech makes such wonderful unplanned collaborations possible. I'll bet you never conceived of such adventures while working in the government. I know I didn't. No, and you're right. I did not. Now the correction. In response to a good news story about Niagara Falls, LB mentioned a small town near Niagara Falls that is forever Christmas. Well, not exactly. She's talking about Niagara on the Lake. It does have a shop in it called Just Christmas that sells Christmas holiday gear year round. I guess the war on Christmas hasn't moved north. <laughs> I highly recommend traveling to Niagara on the Lake or NOTL. It's a famous theater town, home of the Shaw Festival, which stages plays by Shaw and his contemporaries. World-class theater, seriously, because it draws tourist traffic from all over North America and the world. It can support wonderful, eclectic shops and eateries. I recommend the Apothecary Museum there, which is free to view and contains all kinds of real old-timey pharmaceutical materials. So it's not all Christmas all the time, except for that one shop, but far better. One of Southern Ontario's gems. Pet Tax, Rex, the floof, and Rosie, the brain, or the one in charge, both 12. Rosie is toothless, six pounds, and an early stage renal failure, but still a fearsome hunter. Only indoor crinkle balls now, as we live on a busier street. Rex is two times Rosie's size and part ragdoll, aw, uh, we think, because he allows all manner of humiliating holds whereas Rosie squeaks pathetically until she's released, and though she sleeps on me at any opportunity. They are the sweetest, quietest, well-behaved kitties I've known, both rescues. Thank you for all you do, LB. Back whenever you can, have her back. She's such a pistol, like you all, and her laugh brings me joy. Her laugh is so unique and wonderful, I have to agree. Look at these babies. Oh, well, it does look part ragdoll. What a sweetie. And look at the little grumpy puss. Mm -hmm. So adorable. Thank you for that. And uh, I'm going to have to check out NOTL when I'm up there. All right. Next up from Cheryl, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. I'm a longtime listener. I always appreciate your unique perspective on the news. I haven't felt the urge to write in the past, but with the addition of your digital frame sponsor, I have a story to share. Excellent. My father is a lifelong Republican. And he particularly dislikes Hillary Clinton. We gave dad a digital photo frame that allowed you to send photos to an email address, which would sync with the frame and display the photos. At the time of the 2016 election, there were hundreds of family photos on the frame that would each display for a few seconds. 
I started sending photos of Hillary Clinton to the frame. It drove my dad nuts trying to figure out who the stranger was, how the hell the photos were got on his frame and who did it. We kept it going with a few deep states conspiracy theories before I finally confessed. My pet tax is Lucy, a wonderful dog kicked out of her home when she was eight and the family decided they didn't want her anymore. I love her, spoil her, and appreciate the joy she has brought into my life. Oh, oh, amazing. Thank you, Cheryl, for that. That is hilarious. I used to tell people when they go home to Thanksgiving to grab their conservative relatives' phones and subscribe to the Daily Beans. Just a thought. All right, next up from Gigi. Or Gene, pronouns he and him. Hi there, AG and DG. I'm writing from North Carolina Congressional District 11, home of Madison Cawthorn, Q. Retching. I wish Dana was here. She does it so much better than me. I know sometimes the country can seem like a hot mess, but it's not irredeemable, which brings me to my good news. Yesterday, around 12, 15 p.m. Eastern time, my wife became an American citizen. It's been a long and arduous process, but it's finally reached its conclusion. We are over the moon. Cherry on top, she can vote now. You want pet tax? You got pet tax. I submit to you our cat, Sammy, and our flock of Senegal parrots, Lily, Addie, Pumpkin, and Chewy. As a bonus, I'll throw in a photo of my beloved Sheba Percy. Uh, alas, no longer with us, but eternal in my heart. Okay, let's see. Oh, that's a lovely pose from the cat, Sammy. By the way, thank you for the lewd. And the parrots are adorable. There's Pumpkin. There's Percy. Oh, Percy in the box. Fit sits. So adorable. Lily wants to play word poems, uh, magnet poetry. That stuff. So cute. There's Addie, Chewy. I love how you can tell them all apart. That's pretty amazing. And congratulations on the citizenship. That's fan-fucking-tastic. All right, finally, from Rebecca, pronouns she and they. Hello, Leguminati. I am an English language teacher partnering with educators and tutors who are willing to volunteer to teach those fleeing Russia's war in Ukraine. Language skills will be vital to those who need to plant new roots in different countries or live comfortably while they wait out the conflict in a new place. I am looking for volunteers to teach English to all ages, and I'm looking to recruit new students as well. If you're willing and able to volunteer a few hours a week teaching English or another subject, please email me, sunflowersocietytutors at gmail.com. Again, that's sunflowersocietytutors at gmail.com. Many thanks to the whole Beans team for all the information and laughs over the years. Rebecca, what you're doing is truly, truly incredible. Thank you for that. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for your submissions. I really appreciate it. And uh, please keep sending them in. I'll be back tomorrow in your ears. There is a new episode out yesterday for the MSW Book Club and Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote's kind of off the hook this week. So you might want to check it out if you haven't yet. And of course, Wednesday, I will be back with Andrew. And we're going to go over all this Rudy Giuliani stuff and the Eastman stuff and probably some of the stuff that comes up in the hearings. I'm looking forward to talking to him about that as well. I missed my friend. So uh, Wednesday, I will be in Washington, D.C., to say it like they do in the movie Clue. Monkey's brains, though popular in Cantonese cuisine, are not often found in Washington, D.C., Mrs. Peacock. I need to have her dress, by the way. I think I should wear that to the hearing. Uh, But I'm going to try to attend those hearings. uh, I hear it's a very hard ticket to get, but I will be reporting from D.C. right there, right there at the Capitol. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to meeting and hanging out with some of my friends who live there as well. And then Saturday, June 18th, we're going to have a meetup for patrons and supercasters. And that's going to be at at a location that I will disclose to patrons through their emails that they use to sign up for Patreon. 
So if you're a patron or a supercaster, check your spam because sometimes our emails get dropped into the spam folder and then you know, they end up in your junk. So uh, check there for the location of that meet and greet and uh, come have a cocktail with me. We can hang out and chat and it'd be fun. And that's going to be right in downtown DC. So that's where that it is for the for your information. Now, everybody, I'll be back tomorrow and I'm looking forward to uh, the hearing because uh, the hearing, you know, today's actually Sunday. The hearing's tomorrow morning. I'm looking forward to live tweeting that. And so I'll be talking to you then and on the bean. So until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health and vote blue over Q. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>